today officially marks week 11. Can you believe it's been 11 weeks with this guy, Peter? Uh, it is, it is uh, our flawed yet faithful teaching series as we have followed Simon Peter, all of his mistakes, all of his failures and his flaws, to more recently, his faithfulness, his boldness, and his continued passion for the gospel and the church. And so to me, this series has been really, really helpful because I know how often I need forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And if someone of Peter's caliber can show how flawed he is, then it's kind of relaxing to me. It, it lets me breathe a little bit because I remember I don't have to feel like I'm supposed to get it right every time. I'm not supposed to feel like I'm perfect and never stumble either. But today does mark a pretty big shift because we are now in the home stretch of the series and we have already covered so much. And so if you look at your sermon outline provided, if, if you don't have one, you can grab one from a seat near you. You will see that in the first part of the series, we had Peter, the disciple. He was full of passion and mistakes. That's Peter. And we followed Peter, the disciple, throughout the Gospels. And that was, what, five or six weeks of Peter, the disciple. And then we shifted gears into the second part of the series, into Peter, the church leader, where Peter does what Jesus told him he would do. He interprets scripture. He preaches at Pentecost. He receives a history-changing vision from God. We spent like two weeks on that. And then he boldly goes on mission. And that took place in the book of Acts. But now we move into the third and final part of our series, into his writings as a church elder. So we have Peter the elder, his letters to persecuted Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all taking place in first and second Peter. So see, decades into his ministry, Peter was called to carry the good news of Jesus beyond his home country, beyond Israel. And that is when he wrote first Peter. So again, if you follow in your sermon note for you, uh, the context of first Peter, it was likely composed somewhere after 60 AD and uh, his, his assistant, if you could call him that, Silas, helped him write 1 Peter. And the events described in 1 Peter, they take place in Asia Minor, that is modern-day Turkey. Uh, this letter was sent to multiple, multiple church communities in Asia Minor, and Peter learned that these mostly non-Jewish Christians were being persecuted. They were facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and their Roman neighbors. And so just a, a few themes I want to let you know uh, is happening in 1 Peter. Three things that he, he believes is very, very important for us. That first theme, again, it's right in front of you. There is a new identity of God's family. Peter is primarily writing to Christians like you and I, meaning, meaning those receiving this letter, they were not Christians with a Jewish background. And that was a really big deal last week, Remember? Remember Paul showing up and, and he and Peter had some words in front of everybody, right? But Peter was writing primarily to Christians with a Gentile background. Uh, the second theme is that suffering is a witness, suffering as a witness. Peter definitely has some experience in that, doesn't he? Right? Uh, we, we've covered his, his uh, harassment and persecution multiple weeks. We've read how he's been beaten, 
I mean, he was arrested multiple times. He was tortured and flogged all because he was preaching Jesus. And Peter is now telling these church communities in 1 Peter to suffer is an honor. To suffer is actually to be like Christ. If you're persecuted, it's an honor. He took that in stride. We covered an ax and he's He's going to remind these Christians the same thing. The third theme is the hope of Jesus' future return. And so I do love that we opened with a song that made much of that, that he is coming back again. Uh, But there is a hope in Jesus' future return, that though these Christians are suffering devastating persecution in this moment in time, Peter calls them to set their focus primarily on what is ahead and to remain faithful to the way of Jesus. So getting into our text now, Peter opens the letter identifying himself and those he's writing to. And then in verse three, here we go. First Peter chapter one, verse three. I'm gonna read these straight through. Peter writes to these persecuted Christians. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm just gonna take a deep breath and I just wanna like celebrate that for a second because what an encouragement, right? He's reminding them this is all about Jesus' future return. Okay, you're shielded by God's power. Your faith is stored in heaven. Verse six, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's talking about persecution, but of course he's remembering, he's he's telling them to remember what's most important. Verse seven, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, you can highlight that, underline it, remember it, we're coming back to that. These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So for for the believer, he is fixing their focus. We could also say our focus because it is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to be anxious. It is easy to be discouraged and suffering is all too real in the world. That was true then. And you all know it is absolutely true now. We suffer in so many ways. And and for the Christians that Peter is writing to, they are suffering in three ways. This isn't in your notes, but, but make note of it. They are suffering in three primary ways. They are suffering relationally, economically, and socially. Let me break that down for a second. For these Christians, they had no privilege in becoming Christians. Christians today, 
it could be seen as honorable and virtuous and good to practice faith. But back then, there was absolutely none of that. You suffered relationally because your family would keep their distance and your neighbors and friends would do the same. There was no church shopping back then either. Oh, hey, let's check out this other church. Uh, no, that pastor's jeans were too tight. I guess back then the pastor's robe was a little too tight. I don't know, not, not for me. Oh, let's try this other church. I don't know, they use fog machines and I'm absolutely against fog machines in worship. Let's try this other one. Okay, listen, their music is just too contemporary. What happened to the hymns? Okay, listen, there was none of that. You suffered relationally because there was more abuse coming your way than there were privileges. You would also suffer economically because people wouldn't buy or sell with you, nor would they want a pesky Christian working for them or making things for them. And without money, I don't know if you know this, no money, no food. And of course, these Christians they suffered socially, being harassed for their belief in Jesus. And so allow me to make one thing clear right now, what suffering is and what it isn't. And this is in your notes. Suffering is not the same as inconvenience. Suffering is not the same as inconvenience. Suffering, here's what it is. Suffering is bearing a physical or emotional Pain, loss, sorrow, setback, disappointment, or injustice. At least that's my definition of it. I think it's, it's, it's pretty accurate. Of course I would, but anyway. Suffering, suffering though, here's the thing. It is not having your preferences challenged. It, it isn't. We get our preferences challenged, but that's called inconvenience. But these Christians that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter... They were suffering and there was real persecution taking place. Now this was before the Roman edict that was officially and legally persecuting Christians, but it was still happening. And the church was growing. What? Like, like people were signing up for this lifestyle? Really? Believe it or not, yes. See, for people with this hope in Christ, suffering and persecution was considered a very strange gift. And, and here is what I would say my summation of what Peter is saying in 1 Peter. Again, in your notes, uh, Peter, I believe, is more or less articulating this. Suffering has a way of burning away false hopes and distractions like a purifying fire and reminds us of our true purpose, our identity, and ultimately our home. Now, I do want to let you know, when I am talking about suffering, I'm talking about the majority of what I'm talking about has to do with suffering for your faith in Christ. I know there is plenty of other suffering in the world and, and we do suffer all sorts of hardships uh, that, that, that go beyond that as well. But primarily, remember, Peter's talking about, you're being persecuted for, for your faith. And he's reminding them of that hope. So paradoxically, hardships can actually deepen your faith. And as Peter says in verse seven, it can make it more genuine. In fact, the primary focus of first Peter is suffering. Remain faithful in your suffering and your suffering remain faithful 
over and over and over and over. And so you're sitting here today like, man, I came on the wrong Sunday suffering. Yeah, okay, yeah. We're going we're gonna to lean into it a little bit, um, but we're going to do so humbly. And don't worry, this isn't going to be like this big, heavy moment where, hey, you need to repent for doing it or not doing it or anything like that. No, no, no. Remember, this is about Peter writing to persecuted Christians. And, and I think many of us maybe misunderstand the role and purpose of suffering. And I think it's easy to do. I, I remember I would hear Christians say quite a bit, you know, well, God loves me. And he would never, ever, ever want me to suffer. Or because God loves me, I will never suffer. I'm going to pop that bubble right now, okay? Uh, we got some work to do. Um, go ahead and reference your notes. I have a couple of thoughts right here. When we encounter suffering, we usually respond in one of two ways. The first way is that we minimize it. And I feel like we do this. I, I, I do this sometimes too. We minimize suffering. We say things like, you know, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? Or inwardly, we think, I mean, I know I'm suffering right now, but others have it worse. Does that mean that you shouldn't acknowledge your suffering? Does that mean that you shouldn't walk through your suffering? Of course not. But these are kind of some, some things that, that we allow in, and then we, we minimize our suffering. Or we will respond with cliches. Or, and I don't mean to offend, but I might step on some toes here. Uh, and, and, and I mean this uh, with great grace. Um, but sometimes when someone is suffering, we will respond to their suffering with cliches. Well, you know, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the purpose of, the, of, of God who loves them and, and all that stuff. Okay, pump the brakes. If that person was honest, they'd tell you to shut your mouth probably. Because, and I, and I don't mean that, you know, in any, any sort of uh, a way. But when someone's suffering, when someone's walking through suffering, uh, especially a Christian walking through suffering, uh, could we not offer empty cliches and, and, and verses out of context could we simply see the suffering and be? And if they want to talk, let's talk. If they want to pray, let's pray. But let's just acknowledge the person and not minimize the suffering they're walking through. I think another way maybe we respond to suffering is we moralize it. This happens when we view life as a payback and a reward system, something bad happened to me because I did something wrong. I'm getting what God wants me to have. No, karma is not a Christian teaching. And in my belief, humbly but directly, is not real. You do not have a karmic debt out there that the universe is forcing you to one day pay back. The Bible does not teach karma. However, the Bible does talk about reaping and sowing. That's a different thing entirely. But here we are back to Peter. According to Peter, suffering is not about receiving God's wrath. Suffering is not a punishment for being unfaithful. I mean, could you imagine these persecuted Christians 
if they had our Western approach to karma. This is like worse than Job and his friends, if you know that story, right? Like, well, sorry, church, you're obviously doing something that God doesn't like. Like, what a backward way to encourage someone. That's not what we would do. So what is suffering? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Uh, Listen, this week I was working out a way to talk about this concept, and I put together something that I hope is helpful to you as we think about the role and purpose of suffering. And I thought to myself earlier in the week, uh, I should probably print out a nice little chart and put it in the seat backs and have them for everybody. And the week went on, and I thought, no, it's okay. It'll be on the slides. That'll be good enough. And then, um, you know, our, our bulb blue. So here we are uh, this morning in a frantic frenzy. We got these for you. Um, and so if you look around, maybe in the seat back in front of you or next to you, uh, don't steal it from someone else, but find one that's empty. You can grab one of these, okay? So uh, let's talk about this, this uh, idea of suffering. Let's talk about the idea of karma. Let's talk about the idea of grace because it's very, very important. And so on your little handout, you see Uh, There are two different axes. Going up is the presence of suffering toward more suffering. Uh, And from right to left, we also have God's presence in our lives. The left being we don't know him at all. And the right being a close disciple of Jesus. And then the bottom is karma and grace. Karma is you get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. Yet grace is, you deserve nothing, and yet you get everything God has to offer you. And see, there are more or less two types of people. Those on the right understand grace, and those on the left struggle with it. So let's talk about these quadrants just for a quick moment, okay? Because it's very important. If, if Peter is encouraging people that suffering, hey, take it in stride, roll with it. It's, it's not God's wrath. He's not vengeful. Roll with suffering. I think for a lot of us, we don't get it. We're like, no, I, I don't want that, Peter. So to understand what Peter's talking about, let's walk through this really, really quick. You can see in the, 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 the first quadrant, there is the person bottom left. This person believes in unnecessary faith. This simply means They have a low amount of God's presence in their life, but they also have a low amount of suffering in their life. This person doesn't have to be evil or anything. They could be moral. They could follow some virtues. But for these people, life is just generally good. For people in this group, life does seem to operate on the idea of karma. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. And so faith just seems unnecessary and frankly, a bit old-fashioned. Let me pause here. Uh, Show of hands, who here on a regular basis wears a watch? Who wears a watch? Yeah, okay, yeah, a good number of you. But keep the hands up for a second, keep them up just for a second. Okay, now everyone look around at all the people who don't, right? So why, okay, stop staring, okay? Uh, Now, why don't we wear watches as much as we used to? right? Chandra Heath back there preaching, holding up her phone. This is why. We've grown accustomed to checking the time on our phones instead. I saw a church post yesterday, don't forget to fall back. And sometimes my thoughts get to me. I'm just like, 
what is this, 2008? Like, why are you telling people to do this? Like, we don't need that. But here's the thing. Having a watch nowadays, it's unnecessary. It's old-fashioned. And much like those in that first quadrant, faith seems unnecessary. It's, It's archaic. The second quadrant represents people with a low presence of God in their life, but a high amount of suffering. This is skeptical faith. And this happens when they experience grief, loss, and sorrow apart from the presence of God. And these people are struggling to understand how or why God would allow this to happen. And many people, okay, and there there is no judgment here. This is just, I I think, a a simple uh, fact. Many people are stuck here and they're trapped in the prison of, if God was good, he, or why would God allow? Or how could God do? These are people who aren't sure why things are happening or how to get out of it. This group also struggles to accept forgiveness. They struggle to accept grace because they don't believe they are worthy of it. And so a seeming lack of presence of faith, a lack of presence of God in your life, it makes you question if he's there at all. The third quadrant represents people with a high presence of God in their life and a low amount of suffering. And this is genuine faith. This group lives life without worry, pain, or suffering, and they don't really know why. It's just the way life is right now. And they give God all the glory for it. They have genuine faith, but they haven't really been tested yet. This group might also include people who are new to the faith, who have yet to face anything difficult alongside their faith. That's not a bad thing at all to be in this quadrant. It is genuine faith. However, it is void of suffering. And then the fourth quadrant, this represents people who have experienced a high amount of suffering and have a high amount of the presence of God. And this is trusted faith. They have walked through pain, loss, sorrow, and they've discovered time and time again how Jesus has been with them the whole way. This is a person who in the face of deep sorrow and tears in their eyes can still exude love and mercy and grace and kindness, trial after trial after trial. They are not perfect. They do get mad and they get frustrated and they do have questions. But time and time again, this faith shows it can be trusted. Struggles come and and struggles happen, but a trusted faith helps them rely even more on the promises of God, his Holy Spirit, his love, and it points them to a suffering savior who can identify with our suffering. I know Peter didn't write this, but if we go to Hebrews 4, it's also in your outline, Hebrews 4, who, by the way, we're not 100% sure who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Many believe it is Paul. But the author writes this in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Jesus is that high priest that Hebrew, the author is, is, is talking about. And what is he able to do? Is he able to avoid suffering? Is he able to, to help us live our best life now, every day of Friday? To do nothing but bless us with health and wealth and prosperity? Is that what Jesus does? No, it is not. Of course not. I mean, we could take this microphone and walk around the room this morning and we would hear story after story after story of the suffering that we've walked through and how we are all somewhere on the chart, somewhere, trying to push through it. But the beautiful thing about this goofy little chart is that Jesus is also on this chart. Being fully human, having suffered the physical and emotional pains he did. And yet he inspires us to what? to draw near to the throne of grace, to receive mercy in our time of need. And so if you are here today and, and, and you're suffering, this is not meant to serve as bumper sticker theology and, 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 and try to make you feel better right away. If, if you really had faith, you would trust God. None of that trash, but to simply help you take a deep breath and remind you that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and and his desire is to walk through it with you. You are not alone. Amen, church? You are not alone. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who, who passed away uh, recently, he, he authored a, a whole lot of books, and he was a pastor of a church in New York. And uh, when I was in seminary, we uh, walked through one of his books, and it was about suffering. And, and uh, we only had to read, I think, a couple of chapters of it. But I went back and I found a couple of quotes that I wanted to share with you this morning that are also, again, on your outline if you flip it over to the back. Uh, Tim Keller wrote this about suffering. Uh, here's the first quote. Pastor Tim says, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Amen, right? Again, church, this isn't about karma and getting what you deserve, but that suffering simply comes with life. But the difference is that while Christians will still suffer, none of our suffering is without purpose. And this is Peter's big idea in his letter. The next quote from Tim Keller uh, is that suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And it is strange, but this is why Peter talks about the glory of suffering and why we Christians are adamant that whatever suffering you might be walking through, whatever soul-crushing devastation has your attention today, it is not too big for God. It is not caused by God. And it can be used to grow your soul in due time. And I think for a lot of us, we're uncomfortable with suffering, so we try to rush to that due time, right? And then we throw those cliches in there, Romans 8, 28 and things, and it doesn't help. But in due time, 
God provides peace. In due time, he gives us comfort. In due time, he meets you where you are and walks you through it. Again, I know this is a heavier Sunday than most, but having a proper understanding of the suffering that Peter is, again, for some reason, telling these people, embrace it, roll with it, count it all joy, and move forward in it. We need to spend some time, I think, recognizing our approach to suffering. And you know, it's, it's really important for us, especially here in the United States. I think it is really difficult for us to see suffering can be a good thing. Suffering can lead us to good places simply because we tend to minimize it and we tend to moralize it. But Peter writes this letter and he says, embrace it. Look what he says in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Remember that third theme on your, on your notes? Right there it is. He's, he's reminding them again. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Remember, Peter's saying, Jesus is coming in the future. Stay focused, remain faithful, and be holy. That means love others, live like Jesus. And he goes on to talk about this call to remain faithful and how suffering actually go hand in hand. And so allow me to just move forward with some highlights here. But Peter spends the rest of this letter encouraging these Christians about remaining faithful while being persecuted. This is the same Peter, that, that flawed yet faithful Peter who has walked through devastation. He's walked through persecution. And I mean, here he is probably at this point, what, 30 or so years after Jesus. And he's still preaching the same message. Go to chapter 2, verse 4 of 1 Peter 2. says, therefore, Peter just summed up the whole sermon right there. Therefore, with all that in mind about suffering, therefore, okay, there it is. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, pause right there. Listen, if you are here today and you say, I follow Christ, and, and you have been doing this for, for a little while now, then the time is now that you stop holding hands with your sin. The time is now that, that you reach out to, to the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, to your small group leaders, to, to people who can help you, not condemn you, but hold you accountable and allow them to pray with you and encourage you. And here's why it's important. Look at verse nine. This is why it's so important. Verse nine, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Other translations I prefer says marvelous light. 
Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, listen, if you say, I follow Jesus today, that's your new identity. And listen, I, I get it. We, we're, we're told what we are all the time. Or we are judged by our mistakes and people call us, uh, uh, they interpret us by our mistakes. But that is not what Peter is, is telling these people and we can claim it just the same. Peter is saying, you are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. You are special. Which I think is incredible because people like to, you know, hate on that sort of encouraging preaching. Oh, I'm so special. No, it's right there. I am special. I'm God's special possession. And this encouragement continues. But then verse 13 arrives and, and Peter challenges these Christians. And I'm not going to lie. I hate this. <laughs> I do. I wrestle with it. I should say, I shouldn't say hate. I wrestle with this church. But in verse 13, he challenges these Christians in Asia Minor to submit to every human authority. I don't know. Maybe it's something sinful inside of me, my rebellion side. I don't know. I'm just like, ah, no. I'd rather fight and challenge and, and push and, and, and move forward. But Peter says, do not do that. Do not fight back. Because to suffer is an honor. Again, that really messes with us because we don't like suffering. We minimize it. We moralize it. Peter says, it's an honor. Peter pleads for the rest of chapter 2 to then not fall victim to worldly conflicts around authority, but remain faithful to Jesus, our suffering Savior. Now we're going to land the sermon here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, it's on your outline, verse 8. Peter, finishing up a thought, writes, Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary. Repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. If you want to talk about more things, I got a problem with what Peter said. It's right here too. Because my propensity is to push back, to challenge, to fight, to stay my ground. If you will, my, my, my flesh, my human responses is going to be, no, eye for an eye. No, you, you threw evil on me, I will, I will spit it back at you. I didn't start the fight, but I will end this fight. That's my propensity. And yet Peter, pleading with these Christians, they are being persecuted by their literal neighbors, the Greek and Roman neighbors. Didn't have a nice big building. They didn't have a worship place where they could advertise and invite everyone into it. He's telling people with that sort of suffering, when you're hated, when you're discriminated against, when you are harassed, when you are persecuted, don't repay 
but bless them. We'll pick up somewhere in here next week. Uh, Band, you are welcome to, to join me. But right now, church, in this moment, right now, as God speaks to us through this flawed yet faithful servant, Peter, who again was writing to a specific set of people in a specific time in history, we can still learn a lot from this and glean a lot from this. I think we have some steps to take today with God. And I think there are three types of people here today. If we'll give me just a few more minutes. I think the first set of people, you are here today. And maybe you are neglecting grief. Perhaps you are neglecting the acknowledgement of your own suffering. And you simply need to approach God with that and allow him to walk with you in that. Not criticizing you, not standing over you, you better get it right. But think of a loving father having a conversation with one of his kids that he loves so much. That's how God is with us. That's how he wants to walk through suffering with us, hand in hand, with you in your suffering. And perhaps that's you. The second set of people, maybe you are here today, and let's just call it for what it is. Uh, maybe you have a messed up, karmic sort of view of God, that he is waiting to smite you if you get out of line. He, he, he just is watching you and he's already angry. And that if you do something bad, he's going to give you something bad right away, 10 times worse. I think it would be good for your soul to reset those expectations today, to throw that lie about God out and embrace the reality that the only thing he wants to chase you down with is his mercy, his love, his freedom, and his forgiveness. Or the third group of people. Maybe you are here this morning and you are struggling with the text we ended with. You are struggling with your love and compassion for others. Church, pay attention. This isn't just love and compassion for the people you work with and annoy you a little. This isn't being loving and compassionate to your neighbor who won't stop talking and you're just trying to get in and, and make dinner. Your love and compassion for people who quite literally wish you ill, quite literally hate you. You don't say their name out loud because they have such an awful history with them that you refuse to acknowledge it. Perhaps you are here today and you are struggling with this idea that Peter is saying, show them love, show them compassion and bless them. Instead, you want to seek revenge, but God wants you to seek reconciliation and to bless. I think it's time to stop repaying evil with evil, but instead with good.